Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. We on the motherfucking Bootleg Kev. We on Yo. the motherfucking Bootleg Kev. We on the motherfucking Bootleg Kev podcast. We on the motherfucking Bootleg Kev mm. podcast. Yes, we are, ladies and gentlemen. All right, uh, welcome to the show. We got a dope episode today. This is one of my favorites we've done in a while, man. We got to sit down and chop it up with Dallas Martin. And uh, Dallas Martin, for people who don't understand what Dallas Martin does, he's one of the uh, most legendary A&Rs in the last decade. A real power player behind the scenes. EVP of A&R at Atlantic Records, president of the entire label over at Asylum, just a fucking real mover and shaker. He's the guy who signed Nipsey to Atlantic. He's the guy who signed Roddy Rich to Atlantic. Big, big, big roots with the MMG family. Just this guy, let me tell you, if you just want good stories about historical hip-hop moments, listen, if you want inspiration, if you're in the music industry and you want some inspiration on how to Get your shit moving and shaking, man. You got to stay tuned into this podcast. It's about to get real dope. So uh, Dallas Martin checking in shortly on the Bootleg Cat Podcast. Make sure you go uh, support our sponsors, though. First of all, shout out to Odd Socks. You know, they are our, our presenting sponsor, and they actually just started making boxers, and they're fucking great. So go to oddsocksofficial.com, keyword Bootleg Kev. Save 20% off. Get you some socks, man. They got the craziest licenses. Some Breaking Bad socks. Some Scarface socks. Some WWE socks. Some You like the fucking Ric Flair joints. The Rock. Stone Cold. Whatever you need, they got. Go to oddsocksofficial.com. Use the keyword bootleg Kevin, and save 20% off the most comfortable fly socks in the fucking world. Plus, you got to go support our other sponsor, Vaping. If you're into CBD, maybe you, uh, you know, maybe you just got a little trouble sleeping at night maybe you uh maybe you're a stripper you know you're tired of your knees being all fucked up and sore because you're twerking so much on your knees on that hard floor it's a thing get that anti anti-inflammatory some of that cbd man go to vapingcbd.com use the keyword bootleg kev at checkout hey maybe you're a construction worker you're swinging that hammer 
your fucking elbow's sore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nico be swinging that hammer. Ask his girlfriend. Uh, anyway, go to vapingcbd.com. Keyword bootleg Kevin. Save 20% out at checkout. Uh, sh- 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 go check them out. And let's get into this episode with Dallas Martin, A&R executive legend, right here inside the Bootleg Kev podcast. Yo, Bootleg Kev podcast. We got a special guest in here, man. The homie Dallas is here. Good? Dallas Martin, man. Welcome, brother. Happy to be here. Yes. Um... First of all, we got to get the mic close to your face. Am I close enough? Yeah, there we go. There we go. I'm not used to, you know, having the mic so close. I ain't no artist, so. Yeah, welcome, man. Um, You know, I I feel like uh, the last few years you've really established yourself as, like, one of the most powerful dudes in hip-hop. Man, that means a lot, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. You know, on on the executive side, the A&R side, um, for people who don't know, at this point in time, what is is it that Dallas does and what is it that, because you have so many titles at the moment. You just got got a new title, you know (laughs) what I'm saying? Yeah, so so right now um, I'm president of Asylum Records, and um, and, you know it's a label um, under Warner Music Group, which also has Atlantic Records, Warner Brother Records, and Elektra. So they gave me my own, um, you know, my label inside the situation. But with this situation, I still carry my title at Atlantic as far as I'm EVP of A and R, so I'm still on the executive team over there. So what it really is is that the Asylum. Label is more of a upstart incubator system yep. for me to sign kind of more development acts. Um, acts that I just truly believe in that I feel that are talented that I have to develop. Then once I develop them and get them some spark, I could upstream them to Atlantic to me and give them bigger budgets, you know, just a bigger um, company to kind of help you know, push their vision for it. So you're on like both sides of the coin. Yeah. So you upstream to yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> so I could go downstairs, <laughs> sign it, then take they them come, upstairs. Right, meet me in my office up there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's very unique, man. But, you know, just giving me an opportunity to work with more people that, you know, I wasn't able to work with just being at Atlantic. Because, you know, Atlantic's such a big label with so many big Huge. artists. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's hard for you to be a new artist with nothing going on and get attention at that label. So, you know... This is just creates a, a bridge for opportunity for young artists. Um, for people who don't know, where are you from? I'm originally from Flint, Michigan. Okay. And um, I went to college in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I started my music journey. Yeah, give us a bre- like like kind of a background on how you got into the music industry. So my whole goal um, to go to Atlanta was to get into school at Clark Atlanta because I wanted to get into music. That was like my dream from high school. And... Um, I knew that Atlanta was, um, you know, a city that was up and coming with a lot of entrepreneurs in the music business. Um, so I went down there, got into school and, um, you know, just worked um, every year trying to figure out a way to get an internship. You know, during that time, it wasn't no social media and easy avenues to break into, you know, get, even get an internship. Like nowadays, right. it's more easy, you know, the Internet and just, you know, things that come about. But. When I was coming up, we had to go to like the open mics, the yeah. workshops, the A&R workshops, yep, yep, yep. And, you know, get played by mad people who really mm-hmm. didn't really want to be there giving you fake information and shit like that. So I realized after my sophomore year, I needed to get on my grind and figure out a ways to bring people to me. So that's when I started throwing parties in college. Okay. And it kind of led me through an avenue where I was meeting executives and then I f- in my senior year, I finally got an internship with Shakira Stewart at Def Jam. Wow. Okay, so what year was this? So I, I didn't get an internship to my senior year. I was about to give up. So you were throwing parties what year? What year? Sophomore when, year to my senior but year. But like what year? Like 2000. So I got in school um, 2002. So I got my first internship in 2006. Wow. It's mm-hmm. crazy, too, because um, 
you know, I feel like a lot of people start throwing parties. Yeah. And that's how they get yeah. into the into this shit. Yes. Like Scooter Braun, like that's how he got into this shit. You yep. know, in Atlanta, probably around the same time. Absolutely. Yep. Scooter was around. I mean, I remember him bringing Justin Bieber to the Def Jam office for the first time when he was like 13 years old. So like it's just a lot of dope memories from that era. Man, Atlanta was just on fire. Oh, yeah. That was like vintage. Jeezy, Tip, Luda. Everybody. Every, it was just crazy. Um. If, if fast forward, so you end up interning at Def Jam, and by the way, I just had a, I just had to go on Twitter. Were you getting paid to intern? Absolutely not. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure because there's this thing going around on Twitter about uh, unpaid internships, and I'm like, an uh, unpaid internship literally changed my life. Mine too, and I, I and I did it for two years for free. I did it for 14 months. Fresh out of high school mm. with a newborn baby. Ooh. I was trapping at the swap meet selling bootleg CDs on the weekend yep. and working for free Monday through Friday. Yeah. I feel like the entire generation that we're a part of, like that we see coming up now, they don't even know what this like yeah. it's an entitled is this entitlement thing with it's, these with these young sad, man. with these young kids, it's man. It's sad, man. It's instant gratification. Nobody wants to work for nothing anymore. Everybody wants to be rich as the person that put them on immediately. It's crazy. Another thing too is like I've saw people on Twitter like, man, I interned here for, for a year and nothing happened after. It was like, well, cause obviously you ain't had it, bro. Like yeah. if you if you if you were that if you were that dope and you were putting in the work you need, like it's just gonna work. Like I literally Got to the um, office before my boss did and left after him every day. Me too, man. Like, I wanted to make sure he knew that I wanted this shit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I was with radio. Like, even when I started to get paid, I would be at the radio station doing the morning show for free from, like, 4 in the morning until about 11 a.m. Yeah. Then I'd go do a street hit, which is when I finally started to get paid. So I'd be doing that shit all day. Check this out. Then I would do my overnight show. So I would literally go home and sleep for like four hours. I'd be at the radio station, grinding. you know, grinding. 18 hours out the day, just just grinding. I just feel like that's important for people to understand. Like, yeah, this shit ain't like, shit, like we, we really work to get where we at, bro. And I think, you know, when you put that, that level of hard work ethic into, you know, the structure of your daily life, like it, it shows why, you know, people like us are where we're at today. You know what I'm saying? Because we know what it takes to get there. That's some real Supporting. shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you started to intern. What was your first paid gig in the music industry? So um, from my internship, Shakira Stewart gave me a consultancy with Def Jam. Um, so from that consultancy, I got to work on projects that he was working on. So my goal was to work on everything he didn't really have time to work on. Um, so I used to just just be in the studio every day. And he had a, um, a R&B group that um, he was working with. And I, I ended up getting their first single. So from that situation. Which R&B group was it? It was They were called Brother back in the day. I think I remember They had that. one song with Fabulous. They were Brothers. They had a show on BET. It was, it was, okay. it was, it was quick. Hey, if they would have been out now, they'd probably have been <laughs> popping on YouTube with their family and shit. But yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They were like, this first one, reality TV really kind of got right, started right, right, too right. In, in the music shit. Um, so... You know, I got an opportunity, and, you know, um, L.A. Reed got to see my value. And from there, um, I got hired full-time in um, 2009 at Def Jam. Wow. Yeah, January 2009, he brought me on full-time. So that was, like, 09. This is, like, when Rihanna really started to, like... She was running the label for sure. Yeah, that yes. was, like, when Rihanna first was, like, on a fire. superstar. Fire. Yeah, she Tricky was on... Tricky and Dream. Yep, yep. Yep, Rick Ross. Yep. Um, it was it was good times over there. 
And how, how what, what year was Jay was Jay running Def Jam? Jay left. That was in prior. 2008. Okay. Yep. Yep. Because because Shakir took the, his um not took his spot but was promoted into that position after he left and Shakir passed away. He committed suicide. And that's what happened. That's how I got with L.A. Reeks. L.A. Reek kind of brought me on because he knew what was going on with me. So because I was in Atlanta and everybody was in New York. And your what was your title in 09 when you got um, just a director of A&R, just a regular, the lowest level of A&R you could get. Wow. But, shit, I'm 24 years old. I'm at fucking Def Jam as an A&R. Couldn't believe it. I'm from Flint, Michigan. You're living in Atlanta? I'm living in Atlanta, but going to New York every week. Wow. For me, living the dream. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. First time in New York, I'm going to the Def Jam building, sitting in the motherfucking A&R meeting with DJ Khaled, right. Tricky and Dream, Lenny Yes, motherfucking yep. just crazy shit. Shit was mind-blowing. I think that there's a very... Uh, define what an A&R does, because I think that people who are just watching this who might not be involved in the music industry, they hear that term so much, they don't really understand what it is. So A&R has multiple... Things that you have to be good at. So a lot of people think A&R is just hearing a song on the radio and be like, that's a good song. Or I saw an artist and he's dope. What people don't understand is once you sign that artist, you have to help them put their project together. Right. Make sure that they have the right songs to put out. Then you have to deliver that album. That means get your artist to give you the project to be like, this is it. I'm ready to go in the public with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Jesus Christ. Um, so p- the hardest part of A&R is getting your artists to deliver their album, you know what I'm saying? Cause their projects, their baby. And a lot of time artists are insecure with their music at some points in it. And you know, that's a big thing for, you know, it's a very vulnerable situation for artists to give music to the world for the world to critique them. Of course. Um, so, you know, it's just different levels of, of A&R and, you know, the record making process is, is a big part as far as knowing the right writers, producers, and people just to put um in the studio with them. So you'll you'll come to the table and say, "Hey, I think uh this person would mesh well with this person." So like, let's put you in with this producer for yeah, see what comes out of it. Absolutely. And you know, you have to be there in the studio with them to make sure that you know, because they're not going to come and be like best friends. Right, right, right. <laughs> you're kind of like the, you're kind of the middleman. <laughs> yeah. So you have to make sure that everybody's comfortable with the creative process, but you have to know. The creative process from both sides, the artists and the writers and the producers to make sure that everybody could come together, you know, and make magic together, which is the hit record. What year did you officially come to Atlantic? So I got fired after my first year at Def Jam. Okay. Because I couldn't deliver an album from an artist that was on there. Which artist was it? It was um, Joel Santana, my brother. I love him. Shout out Joel's. Okay. You know what I'm saying? He just was in a position where... He didn't like what was going on at the label. I don't think it really had nothing to do with me. But um, he wasn't confident um, in them. You know what I'm saying? And we and we still re- remain and good friends and have a good relationship. Um, but L.A. Reid, um, he, he let me go. But, you know, it was during the time that the music business, everybody felt like it was crashing. Um, yeah, so yeah, the yeah. budgets were getting smaller. Um, the opportunities were getting um, smaller. You know what I'm saying? Because it wasn't a lot of money coming in. This is when... Um, Napster and you know all yeah. the piracy was really at a high By level. By the way, did Joel's ever turn in that album? No, I was about to say because if that <laughs> nah. was like 2010, I'm like, <laughs> nah. I'm like, did that? Yeah. <laughs> he never did, but you know, <laughs> I, say, I don't recall that. <laughs> yeah, but so it didn't work out for me with that situation. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I learned a lot from that situation, and it was no hard feelings. You know, so. 
I didn't, you know, I took a month to kind of just regroup in Atlanta. Then I just got back on my grind and um, got a phone call one day uh, from Joey IE. And he set up a, a meeting with me. Um, he told me he was um, relaunching the Urban Division at Warner Brother Records, mm. which eventually turned into Atlantic. Yeah. Um, and he gave me a, a interview and an opportunity uh, from there. So that was the era when MMG went to Warner Brothers? So, yeah. So so I had a relationship with Rick Ross because Shakira signed Rick Ross and Jeezy. Yeah. So the first two albums Rick Ross did, he recorded in the um, in the office where I interned at. Yeah, okay. So I built a relationship, a strong relationship with him and um, Gucci Pucci. Um, so, you know, they just saw my come up and, you know, I was shake little guy. So, you know, they always kept their eye on me. Um, so when I got to... Warner Brothers, the first day on the job, I just called Ross, like, you got to bring May back over here. It's wide open. You know, so you were you were very instrumental in bringing that. Oh, absolutely. Because me and Ross were super tight. You know, I pretty much, like, you know, Joey helped me put it together because Joey was the boss. So, you know, it, it was like, you know, my relationship. But, you know, obviously, you know, you got Joey, Todd Moskowitz, and Lear Cohen, who are the chairmen yeah. and people who are running the company. And I'm, I'm the... You know, the lowest yeah. level a &R. So, you know, through my relationship, I brought the meeting to them. We had the meeting together, you know, and Rick Ross expressed to them, you know, how important me being involved with it would be if he did the deal there. And we got the deal done two weeks later. I remember how big of a deal that was because I remember, you know, my boy Lee was over at Warner Brothers and lovely. Love that guy. Yeah, good guy. There was like no hip hop, though. It was nothing. It was like, yeah, it was like, it was like dry as fuck. It was Jill Scott, I think. And then, and then, uh, MMG coming over at the time, Ross is the hottest thing moving. Yes. Meek is the hottest thing in the streets. Yeah. And, and people and Wale. And then even Pill, Pill, Pill was, was, was moving. Dope. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. I, I just remember that moment was so big, bro. Like, yeah. That's history. Yo, so they, so you, I didn't even realize, I didn't even know that you, you helped bring that situation over. Yeah, the that's what like got me to start it as far as just getting some credibility. Cause from there, you know, me and Wale did Lotus Flower Bomb. Yeah. And put out Wale's project that did super well, went number one. Then from there, um, I did Meek, Dream Chasers 2, and Dreams and Nightmares. And I, I pretty much did every MMG project. That came out on the Warner Brothers system until we even transferred over to Atlantic. Yo, so when uh, when you first heard the the well, first of all, were you around when the Dreams and Nightmares intro was recorded? Yes, we was at the Satai Hotel. I, I got to hear this story because I like this is a song that will forever get played every single club you go to. Yeah, one of the greatest rap songs ever created. Yeah, yeah. So it was crazy because we was all on the high from the Dream Chasers two mixtape. And, Classic. Uh, it was incredible. You know what I'm saying? It was like we made that project in LA at the Boom Boom Room. And like that was probably like the funnest project I ever worked on in my life. Cause that was like we all just coming up and we learned, we knew to LA. We're mm -hmm. living in LA yeah. now. You know, and it's just like the studio we had, it was just like great energy, you know what I'm saying? And this before like Instagram took off. So of like course, of course. a lot of the women that were Instagram big models this day were like, you know, just around hanging out with us. It was just right, right, great right. energy. Made that project, then me goes on tour, and they like, well, we need an album. We like, we still got three or four songs coming out from this mixtape. Right. So, um, me gets off tour, and we at Ross House, and he plays us like the beginning with the strings and all the piano. We like, what the fuck is this? You know, this shit is crazy. So then, 
he um was like, yo, but this is what I'm going to do right here in this party. Stop it. I'm going to have be bully, do this part, boom, boom, boom. So then, like, two or three days later, we at the Satai Hotel, and he got the beat finished. And he just went in the booth, right? And he, like, kind of surprised us. And that shit, hold on, wait a minute. Y'all like, oh, man. He was like. Shit was crazy And like we knew right then and there That that shit was a smash But we ain't think that shit was gonna be like One of the biggest songs Yeah it's crazy time. Cause when you hear that record You're like this is a great intro Incredible. But to ever it's think that that's like a record That would work in the club yeah. You would never think that Yeah cause we would've went with that For the first single <laughs> And also you would never even think To go for that as a yeah, single like we There's no the hook out as the first single No hook no nothing so it was interesting, but you know, man, listen, man, everything happens for a reason. So what was the, the the first single from that? I'm album? young and getting it. Yeah, that's right. I'm yeah. young and I'm getting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who was it? Who's on Kirk the hook? Bangs. Kirk Oh when wow! He, yeah, when he shout was out to Kirk Bangs. Yeah. Yep, because I was a and his project at Warner Brothers. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and he had like two joints that went number one. So I'm like, yo, this drinking my good cup. Yeah, Kirk was a very yeah. talented kid, man. Yeah. So it was good time. Shout out Kirk Bangs, man. You know so the, the, you 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 kind of helped spearhead that MMG movement on the A and R side, and I do remember when everything kind of moved over to it, uh, yeah. Atlantic. Yeah, is that when you kind of went over to Atlantic? Yeah. Or? So what that happened was, you know, Joey left for Def Jam a year later. Then the year after that, we was there for two years. Todd Moskowitz started his own com- um, company with Leo at Three Hundred. Yep, yep, yep. So. With Warner Brothers, Atlantic, and everybody being under under the same umbrella, which is Warner Music Group, they just merged all the urban staff and urban artists to Atlantic. Yeah, and then it was like Macklemore at Warner. Yeah, yeah, it was was right. Warner was a rap. It was a rap for sure. So Atlantic, then we just you know I went into working with Julie Greenwald, Craig Kalman, and Mike Kaiser, and um. They really helped, like, mold me as an executive, you know what I'm saying? So I really, you know, appreciate them because they really, you know, took me and, um, you know, kept my path as far as where I was doing. They, like, kind of took it to the next level. What was the um, – I want to definitely get to you working with Nipsey, but what was the first um, project officially at Atlantic that you were a part of? Uh, so I signed K. Michelle. Okay. Because I was like, let me do some R&B shit real quick so they don't want to just stick me in this A&R box in Amarion, supposed to be. Oh yeah, so smash. Yeah, so we did post to be then K Michelle had two number one R and B albums from reality TV shows. So everybody was flipping out because now it's like, are you doing R and B shit now? I met her in New York and uh, I couldn't believe the size of her ass. Shout out to her, man. Yeah, man. I took a picture with her. I was like, this is this is interesting. Hey, it's crazy because K Michelle, I feel like, is like one of the most prolific R and B singers of the She's last so talented, like, man. ten to fifteen years. Like, very talented. I feel like we got to put more respect on her name for sure. Yeah, man, she's she's very talented, man, for sure. She's very fun to work with, man, and you know, she just keeps going though. Um, talk about Nipsey coming over to Atlantic because I know he was on Atlantic for a while, but it wasn't like announced. Well, no, yeah. So what happened was so. I started the process of trying to sign Nipsey when I was at Warner Brothers. Okay. He didn't want to sign, of course. Was that when there was conversations about Ross MMG. trying to bring in MMG? Absolutely. Okay. So you were a part of those I conversations. I was part of all that. I was bringing him to Miami. We were doing sessions. and By the way, Ross was trying to sign everybody. He was trying to sign Wiz. Yeah. Uh, Ross had a good Dom French Kennedy. Montana. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. We really wanted, Nipsey and Don was like, we wanted to settle the West Coast with them. 
Which that was like big. For, that would have been big for us. Like to this day, like I still wish in my heart that happened because they, everybody. What I want everybody to understand, like you guys, everybody can still have their own companies and do their thing. Like what Meek did with Dream Chasers, and like. But well, I always tell everyone Ross is like one of the only examples of an artist who became an executive that did it the right way. Absolutely. Because he, I feel like he genuinely wanted every artist on his label to be bigger than him. Yeah. And I think that's the problem most of the time when you have artists sign another artist. In their heart of hearts, it's some ego shit involved. They mm. really don't want their artists to be bigger than them. Yeah. But Ross, I feel like, was like, his heart was in the right place. Yeah. And it, it kind of showed, like, with the success of the label. Before we get to Nipsey, like, kind of give me that backstory about how close the Nipsey and Dom shit was. Because I always heard Nipsey and Dom were very close to going to MMG. I mean, you know, the talks got, um, you know, very intense, um, you know, um, Deal structures were talked about, you know, things like that. Um, but, you know, one thing I could say about Nipsey and Dom, they were very keeping their brand and what they were, you know, um, what they were developing on their own was very important to them. And they didn't want that to be overshadowed. So I think them just being, you know, their own bosses were very important to them. And it was like, you know, 100 percent understandable when they didn't want to do the MMG situation. You know, it was more so of a. Uh, you know, we just all wanted that shit to happen because yeah. we just know how dope that shit could have been. But, you know, at the end of the day, they made a dis- decision to do their own thing, which, you know, still worked out for them. So was was Wiz ever close to doing the MMG thing? I don't thing? think Wiz was ever close. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember what was that? Uh, Currency what, and Wiz was doing music. That, what, with was that, what was that? What was that remix time? with Neo that, yeah, that Currency forgot, and Wiz yeah, hopped on? But, yeah. I, I know what you're you talking remember that about, but I forgot the name of the song. All right. So. Yeah. You had already been talking to Nip prior at the Warner at Warner. How how did the you know? Yeah, so it, the, the dope shit with Nip, man. You know, Nip's really about you know just um he a real solid person. So if you just honest with him and direct, and I just kept a relationship with him even though he didn't do the deal. And I think that's what made him fuck with me even more because it was just more so. It's like I just made sure I sent beats to him. You know, I was like, cause I just was a fan of Nip. Of course, of course. Um, And I used to always tell him, like, bro, whenever you want to do something, bro, just let me know. I'll make sure that I structure it the way you want to. Like, I know what's important to you as far as your masters and shit like that. And so when I went over to Atlantic, Steve-O was an A&R over there, too. And he was um managing. He just started the process of managing um Nipsey. Yeah, yeah. So me and um, Steve-O worked together really hard to um you know figure out how to get him over right. to Atlantic. But one day Nip just called me out the blue and like, what you doing today? Right. I'm like, shit, nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What's up? He like, me, um, let's go to lunch. I'm like, bet, meet me at the Roosevelt in an hour. Right, right. And we sat at the Roosevelt for an hour, talked about what we wanted to do. And shit, I wanna say like two or three weeks later, we had another meeting with Craig Cowman. I I had Craig fly out to LA. We sat down at the uh Shit, one of them expensive hotels, Peninsula or some okay. shit. <laughs> and we sat down with Nip and ironed out the deal structure and shit. The what rest year was history. this? 2014. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, a lot of people don't realize Nip. We didn't like, not, it took us three years to do the first project. And it also, like, he was so, so careful about announcing that. Yeah, we kept a real hush, like, because, you know. I think a lot of people in the industry knew, but, like, he yeah. didn't announce it publicly until... Yeah, I've, a lot of a lot of people in the industry knew. Um, I think a lot of people um, wasn't aware of like 
how important his first project that he delivered because he still put out mixtapes people don't remember like during the time mailbox Um, money all kinds of yeah so he still was staying active and working hard but you know he really had a vision of how he wanted his major label release to be and it just took some time to do it but you know what was so dope about our relationship was i never pressured him you know I, i made sure that he had everything he wanted to make sure that he could deliver the project he wanted so you know, my whole thing was just making sure that he had everything he needed. Victory Lap was uh, obviously classic. Um, and and the attention to detail that you just spoke about, it's why I always appreciated Nip. I feel like everything he did had intention, and it was always on purpose. It was like he understands what it means to have a debut rap album yep. and like how important that is to deliver on because he's a hip-hop head too, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So. The process of you a- like helping with A and R in that album, walk us through that because there was like some records on there that were just so like, you know, like hearing Belly on Double Up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 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 what did you bring to the process? Because Nip obviously had his his the way he made records, but I feel like there were some records on Victory Lap that were just so like, yeah, elevated from anything we'd ever heard from him before. So what was dope about the whole situation, you know, Mike and Keys. Um, 1500 man they were like the the producers that kind of laid out the foundation for the project um and i remember one day like i brought them hustle and mo- motivate you know what i'm saying <laughs> and i remember just being there and his eyes lighting up like when i played him the beat for the first time and like we talked about him being in the sixth floor in times square with hove in the passenger seat like just talking like it was just like before he recorded that song, it was like that was like our first record we did together. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was just like little thing, but more so it was just like beats. Like, you know, Nipsey liked to just have beats that he fuck with and he respected just my opinion on verses and um, structures, the songs and things like that. But, you know, that shit was pretty much all put together with Nipsey's vision. Were there any um, records... Because you hear rumors and stuff, but were there any uh, features that were supposed to happen or, or, or that, that didn't end up happening for on Victory Lap? No, not really. I mean, I think the biggest thing what was important to him was the Kendrick feature. Right. Yeah, and and that was cool. I mean, Jay-Z, of course, everybody wants that, but, you know, with Jay-Z, everything happens for a reason. And of course, he got the song with Jay-Z now. That's amazing. Of course, of course. So. Puffy, getting Puff, Puff Daddy to talk shit, was that something that was... Uh, was that like a hard thing to get him in that? No, so what happened was the album was done. Yeah. And he wants to go play it for Puff. And I think Puff was just so inspired when he heard the project that he had to put his fingers on it. You know what I'm wow. saying? And his ear and his, and his touch on it. And, you know, Nipsey is a big, you know, uh, you know, Puff's one of the people he really look up to in the mm. music business. So, of course, you know, if you have Puff wanting to work with you and, you know, add certain elements to the project, you're going to let him jump in and do that. So... You know, I think it was just inspiration based. Um, is there a lot of like, is there because we had Jay Stone up here and he said that there's obviously a lot of unreleased Nipsey music out there or not out there, but, it, you know, stuff that he recorded. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be any sort of album? You know, we, we've gotten a Pop Smoke album. We've, I mean, mm-hmm. Tupac passed and we got a I mean, shit, we know how many albums he, he put out yeah. after he died. But is there any any discussions of even exploring that i mean you know everybody knows how big of a perfectionist nipsey was and you know from me i i wouldn't be comfortable 
being involved with putting out no more Nipsey music in the future because he's not there to come. he's not there to approve it. And I don't want to stand on this thinking that I'm powerful enough to say, no, nah, this is what he would have wanted. Mm. So if Black Sam or somebody, his family or, you know, somebody that, you know, that I feel like could make that call wants to do it, of course, I would help out. But I would never want like I think he left a legacy that's so crazy in that last project. I just wouldn't want to cloud it. That's fair. You know, was because because um, Racks in the Middle was a record that kind of came out as like a Lucy. Was that supposed that to, to be the first single for the, the next project? Of the next project, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were about to start doing more features and like. Damn, man. Yeah, because I remember when he dropped the record, he came up to the station and, and I was like, yo, so is this the single? He's like, it's just a song for now, you know? Yeah. Like, we go. Yeah. Damn. I mean, especially with the success it had, you already know that would have catapulted to, and we had. Yeah, some shit. Too. It's crazy. Talk to me about Roddy because it's funny because Nipsey was actually the first person that ever introduced me to Roddy Rich, okay. and yeah. and and I have one of my uh, friends from Phoenix, JD Films, shot all of Roddy's first video. So he yep. did like die like all the early shit. So I'd kind of been up on him. You know, I remember when you guys first signed him. I'd already been kind of hip to what he was doing. Um, you brought Roddy into the fold at Atlantic. Yeah. How did you end up? Meeting Roddy Rich, give us that, you know, because I feel like Roddy's one of them ones that, you know, whenever he drops, it's over. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So, um, you know, um, after all the stuff was going on, just like with the success with all the artists, I was really in a space where I wanted to find something new and, and work with something from scratch. And when you when you guys started working together, it wasn't like Roddy was like, he didn't have a shit ton of he followers. Yeah, one song, got, yeah, 3,000 followers. I, yeah, I was going to say, like, I remember, yeah. like, like when I saw that, I was like, yo, that's dope that he got, <laughs> that you fucked with him because I remember looking at his followers. I was already following him. I remember yeah. he only had, like, 10,000 followers yeah. or something. Yeah, so I had a couple of interns at the time. One was Kifa. Yep, shout And out I Kifa. met Kifa through Nipsey. So um, Nipsey was just telling me, you know, he's a good dude or whatever. I really didn't know much about right. Kifa. And um, Kifa was very consistent as far as, um, you know, building a relationship with me. Um, so um, I got him an internship to work with me. And, um, you know, with all my interns, the main goal is to kind of like I set up like accounts for them to go through beats. So I have people submit beats. And and every week I'd be like, yo, bring two or three artists to me that you fucking with, that you've seen online or whatever. And we could go over and go through music. And Roddy was one of the artists that Kifa saw on YouTube. So when he played it for me, I was like, yo, find the kid and let's figure out, get him in the studio and see what he could do. Um, he reached out, got Roddy in the studio, played me a couple records. And I was like, yo, this kid's amazing. So I went to the studio to see Roddy in action. And he did like three or four songs in one night. I couldn't believe it. Like, wow. Because a lot of artists, you know, they can't make music that consistently, and you know they always got excuses. Oh, something's wrong. Oh, I've been in the like studio the artists where yeah, they, like they, it's like like you'll be in the studio for eight hours and you came away with one record. Yeah, so <laughs> right then I knew I was just like, yo, man, I gotta get this kid signed because he's just he's special. And um, Craig Calman happened to be in L.A. during this time, and um, I just took him to meet with Craig, and Craig was like, if you want to do it, just do it, and you got the deal done. Do you feel like that that is the the because you know we look back at Nip and Nip had been a name he he was obviously huge I mean huge in the hip hop world prior to Victory Lap you know yeah. he was already a staple um, but Roddy Rich was someone who you like we like not no one knew who Roddy Rich was yeah you know what I'm saying and yeah. I think that that's when I when I think of like labels and like 
where things are now, it feels like the days of that kind of shit happening are yeah. gone. Yeah. Like you got to already have all this shit going on. Yeah, At I least don't do the shit off analytics. I'm still a gut sign. I was going to say even Simba, you know, yeah. we can get to Simba in a little bit, but yeah. like, that's why I, fu- I appreciate that about you and your track record is like someone like Roddy Rich. Yeah. Like you guys really built like Roddy built from the ground up. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like you guys built with him and, and, Drop mixtapes with them and there yep. was every everything was was it, it was i mean to, to you know for, for lack of better words it was like a marathon not a sprint yep. you know what i'm yep. saying yep for sure do you think that that kind of like roddy rich kind of and his success kind of changed your career and like people's like like yo like dallas really know i mean obviously it's easy absolutely to- absolutely because every time i had success with you know the mmg situation they always gave ross credit well yes mmg yeah. ross is hot yeah yeah they're like but people don't understand i'm i'm in the studio with the artists and ross is still an artist at the time so like i'm day to day with everyone so it's like you know i was like damn i ain't really getting up. then with the nipsey shit it was like nipsey still was nipsey even right. though what we did with victory lab was yeah. special and you know even getting him to sign with a major was a big deal and right. shit like that so i feel like the Roddy shit was like okay this was done with nothing from scratch you know what i'm saying so i think that was just very important with people realizing like okay what can we say about him now you know what i'm saying to kind of put everybody yeah. the critics to the to the sideline um do you remember talk about because roddy's album you know one of the biggest albums of the last 10 years mm-hmm. the box is one of the biggest the, the is the is when Roddy did the box, did he go back in and add the eat like like? No, he had that from Jump. So that was already in there. That from was jump. already in there. When you heard like he did that like when he recorded like Roddy does voices in a lot of his songs that people are gonna start realizing as far as like when he keeps more music out. But he's always he always does shit like that. That was like his idea. That's it wasn't a part of the beat. Idea. Absolutely not. It was not part of the beat. It was all Roddy's idea. It's funny because I was um I was in Hawaii on my honeymoon when the album came out and that was the record. I remember everybody was talking about I forget which record with a big feature on it, but I remember t- telling DJ Amen, like bro, I'm in Hawaii riding around in a convertible. This this the box shit is the one, bro. Like it's so crazy because that was like one of the last two records he recorded before he turned in his project. So we already had a a rollout plan. With everything besides the box. Damn. <laughs> That's why the video <laughs> took so long to get out. It's crazy because I haven't seen an artist besides, I think Kendrick's damn record, mm-hmm. as far as like songs that just ran radio for as long, like high fashion, ballin', the box. Like these records are still like in power rotation in radio stations. Absolutely. It's like they research, like it's in, it's insane, yeah. bro. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, w- I mean, he's been teasing this new feed the street shit. Is yeah. that is that what's next? I hope so. You hope so. <laughs> how much? How many records is he sitting on? At least a hundred. A hundred. At least. Roddy does like five songs a day. It's crazy. Yeah, he he makes so much music. Like Roddy could he walk in here right now and set up a studio right here and make ten songs. That shit is on wild. this table. Yeah, it's 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 it, he's like one of those. Uh, you know, I, I I tell people there's a few artists that it's hard for them to make a bad song. Yeah. Yo, I feel like Roddy's yeah. like shit. Like you listen to all his shit. Like it's like hard for. I feel like Post Malone's one of those guys where like there might be some Post Malone songs you might not fuck with, yeah. but it's hard for Post Malone to make a shitty song. Like yeah. Roddy Rich, like Roddy's one of them artists who's like just his melodies are so crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the way he can float on a verse. Nah, he's special. He's 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 definitely you know like he's like one of those artists that come around every ten years. A hundred percent. You man. know what I'm saying. 
a hundred percent. Were you, uh, you know, with with the uh, the lack of Grammy nomination for 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 the rap album of the year, was that something that you kind of took personal? I don't really take the Grammy stuff personal no more. I just, you know, at the end of the day, man, like I think we do music to kind of, um, you know, for the culture and to feed our families and things like that. I don't really know. We got a Grammy with Rex in the middle, of course. So. You know, that was a, a highlight moment, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, just seeing the success that Roddy has now and, you know, just the kind of way he's living life is just, that's the the dope shit to see. Are you instrumental in the new in the new music he's working on or is Not he kind of really. just doing his thing? He's doing his thing. I think, I think Roddy's at the point where, you know, him and Kifa are kind of so locked in. I'm just... Whenever they need me, I'm here. Me, I'm here. But, you know, whatever they need from me, of course. But, you know, I don't think Roddy needs help from anybody. That's fair. <laughs> so um, some of the uh, newer artists that you're working with, yes. um, I know you're you're playing a, a part in Corday's new music. Yep, working on Corday's I've heard new some project. stuff. Yep. With some, he's got some crazy features. We won't talk about those. But he's definitely got some shit yeah. that, he's, that, he, that is in the can. Um, and then Simba. Yes. So Simba is somebody who, you know, you're really kind of helping. Yes. Like, I, it reminds me of the Roddy situation. Yes. And Simba, you know, somebody who we had. What year did we have Simba on the show? 2017? Yeah. Something like that. It was a while ago. Mm -hmm. But Simba somebody who has been around. Yeah. But, like, I feel like it was kind of like a like an unpolished gem. Yeah. That was just sitting around that, like, you know, it just need like somebody needed to just come along and be like, yo. Yeah. Let's let's do this shit. It was it was crazy because um, me and Simba relationship started off real organic. Um, so his producer, he has a producer named Cast, and I'm super cool. Yeah, with shout it. out to the homie Casting. Yeah, yeah. Cast, Cast, what's up? He was hitting me, and he's like, "Excuse me." He's like, "I got this artist, man. I think he's the next Jay Z." <laughs> it's a lot to say, right? So I'm like, man. So you know when you get these calls as an A and R, you be like. Yeah, sure. All right, man. Yeah, you got, you got the next hoe. Right, right my yeah. brother, and they be your friends too. So you just be like, all right, man. You know what I'm saying? So he's telling me like, man. So I'm like, man, it's no way you have the next hoe, bro. So, anyways, I do this a little thing at um my office. It was called Past the Ox, where I had like mad music producers and mm -hmm. writers come, and I had food and drinks for everybody. And we just was in the conference room playing music. And Simba stepped to the aux court and started playing me his music. And I was just looking like, oh, this kid is different. You know what I'm saying? I just knew he had a different energy. And Sim's just a likable person. Definitely. So when um, I set up a meeting with him the next day, and he played me some more shit, and I was just blown away. And I was like, we're going to New York next week. Took him to New York next week and just signed him. Wow. Like, I think Julie heard two records. She said, welcome to Atlanta Records. I'm like, damn, Julie, you gotta, you showing all your cards right <laughs> So Julie loved him immediately. The whole staff loved him. And, you know, like, if the COVID shit didn't happen last year, I think, you know, Sim he would even be further ahead than he is right now. Yeah, I think, like, you know, because I remember talking to him, and, and I think, you know, obviously a lot of the stuff you guys had planned kind of got yeah got rearranged. Yes. But I think sure. it all worked out. Yeah. I mean, really, that L.A. Leakers freestyle is, I think, what really kind of showed everybody, like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Damn. Absolutely. Like, this motherfucker is here. Like, who is this guy? We got so much love from that, man. And just like, you know, the, the feedback was great. And, you know, the project, I'm, you know, we really excited for our first project. So now I think the goal is just stay consistent with the music and just getting music out and there. And some of those me. records that he played that 
those are still coming yeah, out. Yeah, they're still coming out. They were just going through sample clearances that are clear now. So we, we got a lot of shit. Why, so. the, why didn't... So there was a record that was supposed to be on his album called West Side Griselda. Yeah. The why didn't that... It was the sample thing. It was sample. It was yeah. him and Jason Cash. Jason Cash. Yeah, Talk about Jason Cash. Yeah, another artist who you're working with. Yeah, so Jason Cash, somebody else that I'm working with right now, that is signed from the West Coast. So I'm super excited about him, but I met him through Simba. Yep. Him and Simba were making a lot of music together, and I just loved his energy. And shit, I mean, the music he's been making has been crazy. Like, I'm really excited for everybody to hear his shit, too. So, you know, we doing something special, man. I got a studio out here. We call it The Trap. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, it's just like a great music space where, you know, creators could come and it's no egos and everybody's working together because we're all trying to see each other win. So, you know, when when people come there, man, it's just special music that's being made. Who's somebody who you tried to sign? That didn't work out that you kind of were like, ah, that almost happened. Polo G. Polo G. Yep. Damn, that would have been crazy. I was probably, it was out of me and one other label, and I didn't push the button on um, something that I should have did that I regret to this day. And um, he went with the other label instead. So something. So it was. It was close. I was there. He was in the Atlantic office and everything. We were close. I had him come to the studio, and then the night that he came to the studio, I had Meek Roddy working Ooh. again. Like it was one of those nights. So, you know, that's one that you wish you could get back. Man, yeah, I can only imagine. I'm a big fan of him. So, yo, has you you know somebody who I heard you know um, someone who who Jason Cash got a great relationship with? Yeah, is Blast. Yes, Blast. From my knowledge, is still not signed. Nah, I don't think that's true. I know he was with Red Bull. Yeah, but I, but maybe, maybe since the last time I talked to him, some shit has changed. Yeah, but I feel like Blast is one of them ones. He's incredible. Him and Cash got to smash together. They got to smash. Yes, they do. I a lot of people don't realize they drop. like came up together. Yeah. Jason was telling me stories about like he was just bringing Blast everywhere with him yeah. back in the day. Yeah, they got a dope relationship, man. So it's glad to see like them go their own ways and come back together. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 dope to see. For people watching this who are artists or for you know, I always tell artists that there's really no excuse for you to not be on your shit in 2020, 2021 because mm-hmm. You know, the internet from 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 when you first got in, we we're talking earlier, you you know, the days of like you needing to meet someone and pass them your tape or mm-hmm. all that shit's gone. Yeah. Like, you know, you're straight to consumer now. But like what are the things that that you would tell up and coming artists um that they need to have like together, you know what I'm saying, to be taken serious? I mean, you know, what what bothers me a lot of up and coming artists don't even take the time to figure out who the players are in the game. So, you know, like I hate when people come up to me and they be like, oh, you work with me? What do you do? Like, it'd be like, then they'd be like, oh, can you take I'm like, I'm not about to explain what I do. Then. Right. Like, you know, like, when I was coming up, I knew who everybody was at every label. Mm-hmm. So if I did run into them, I would know something about their story to be compelling enough for them to want to take my information. Nowadays... They just be like, I DM'd you. you would be like, bro, that, that ain't mean? how I move. Like, right, right, right. You know right, what I'm right. saying? So, I mean, honestly, you know, I think what helped me best was being a student of the game and realizing what people did before me to get to where they're at, you know, reading books and things like that to kind of help put me on a path to understanding what it takes to be good at what I do. But, you know, I think just understanding that and just worth ethic. You know, the entitlement is is it's really at an all time high. At an all time high right now. It's, it's very, it's very concerning for me. 
You know what I'm saying? Because on the artist side and on the and on the background, like on you know, like on your side, yeah, it's bad, man. Like you know, everybody wants the the big salary, big check, but don't want to check in. That's some real shit. You know, what do you look for in an artist when when you when when you know? Is it obviously metrics aside? Because we've already established that that's not that's not the end all be all for you. What do you look for? Um, I like when. So right now we're in a um a wave of you know. I want to say Baby Roddy's. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Um, I like when there's like a wave of music going, and I hear something that's going completely the in the way. other direction. That's why Symbol was dope for me at the time, because nobody was rapping no more. Mm. It was it was everybody. Mumble rap was big, and, you yeah. know, all these little whatevers. You know what I'm saying? I feel and, like even the guys who get credit as, like, good rappers now aren't even really good rappers. Yeah. They're just good rappers compared to, like... What's going on out yeah, here? Yeah, like, outside of, like, the Griseldas and, like, the Gibbs and all that shit, but, like... On the mainstream side, there's like people who really get credit for being like dope that aren't yeah. even that dope. I'm like, yeah. they're dope for like compared to who? You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, so, so you like that original, uh, the, the originality? Yeah, I just like when some like when there's a wave going. I like somebody that's going in a total different direction. That's fair. You know, that's fair. Uh, what's next for you, man? Right next is for is for me is um really turning Asylum into a powerhouse label. Um, breaking some acts this year. Um, I got Sada Baby and Ken the Man. Is Ken my the Man's first fire. Two, is my first two acts on my Asylum roster that are a priority for me. So making sure that um you know their projects are amazing and um you know helping them whatever I could do. You just signed um, a kid from Indiana too. I just signed a kid named Jay Lyle from Indianapolis. He yeah. he's on some trap soul shit that's incredible. Um and of course I got Simma and Jason Cash that are up next for me and Corday as well. So. Uh, Sada Baby. Yes, that was somebody who was already on Asylum when yes, you got. Yeah, Ken the Man was. Yep. Right. So you, I remember you told me you're like, yo, when I found out that Ken the Man was on the roster, I'm like, yo, this is this is yeah, this is a it's slam exciting. dunk right here. <laughs> Absolutely. What is? How is it working with Sada Baby? I've had some really ex- interesting experiences with him. Yeah. We did an interview here that never came out because he was falling asleep throughout the whole interview. <laughs> okay, he probably because he was in the studio all fucking night. I don't know, or it yeah. could have been what was in his cup. Yeah, yeah, that, that one of the be. two. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a very funny dude. Um, yeah. And then he there was he booked the studio one night, and they had bro, they had, people. Oh my god, <laughs> they booked both rooms. <laughs> Shit was this this was like June. Yeah, no, like COVID was not even a thing. Like my engineers are hitting me like, what do we do? I'm like nothing. It's a rap studio. We gonna get one of these every once in a while. Absolutely. But what's, what's it like, you know? Yeah, so my first time working with um, Sada was last week. He came to L.A. for a week and worked. And, you know, man, I really got to just understand his process. Um, he's a very hard worker. I think he has a vision to, you know, his madness. Of course. Um, and I think he just wants to be respected as a, as a dope artist in his music game. You know what I'm saying? He's putting out a lot of records, a lot of content. And, um, you know, I just think that this year is going to be one of those years that I think he's going to break as one of the big artists in the game for sure. And then Ken the Man is uh, she's from Houston. Yeah. Ken the Man's exciting because I never got By to the work way, with a female it's, rapper. It's a female and her name's Ken the Man. Yeah. It was confusing. Yeah. So I guess the, the whole persona, you know, she 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 could get on her her man shit yeah. with the ladies. You know what I'm saying? Her, her so. manager, Melissa, hit me and was like, yo, can I bring Ken the Man up? This was what a year and a half or two ago. And I was like. Yeah, what's his Instagram? She's like, oh, it's a girl. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? But then she came and spazzed the fuck out, man. Yes, yeah, that freestyle is dope as fuck she did with you. Yeah, so. she's incredible. So be on the lookout for her. Um, 
And then are are you currently like are you always looking for talent? I'm always looking for talent, but now you know like as I'm like getting higher up as far as just like I got a team, I got our I got A and R's yeah. now, so you know of course they're bringing stuff to my attention every day, but. You know, I got to really make sure I'm balancing what I have the right way because I don't want to get so many artists that I'm losing focus on, you know, the artists I have. Is Asylum going to kind of act also as like like a distribution platform for yes. for some artists, kind of like in the, in the way that like there's like Empire? Absolutely. And like, Absolutely. So, so you're going to be doing some distro and then if something really starts moving, that's when the upstream happens. Yep. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great for me because I could do so many unique deals. I could do... Joint ventures, 50-50 splits, 70-30 splits. Right. Like, just it depends what an artist wants, what services they want, and, you know, what they want to bring to the table. Because, you know, if you want to stay independent, you want to do a one-off mixtape to see if you even like how we structured over there at Asylum and things like that. It gives opportunity to get, you know, into the system, see if they like it, and don't be tied down for five or six albums and saying fuck the label on their next tweet. Well, historically, Asylum is known as a hip hop label. Yes. Back in the day, it was like Bun B, and I yeah. mean, I, was Mike Jones Slim on Asylum? Thug. Mike Jones, yeah, Mike yeah, Jones. That yeah, shit, right? is that? Are you strictly looking for hip hop oh, acts? Slim Thug wasn't on Mike Jones. I meant it was Mike Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike Jones. Um, I mean, I'm definitely gonna keep it hip hop. You know what I'm saying? But I do want to do some pro- progressive R and B shit. You know what I'm saying? I think Jay Lauder's a great artist that we're gonna introduce to the world. That's gonna really, you know. Show that trap soul because I think trap soul is going to become like a real force in the music business right now. You know what I'm saying? Like artists. That yeah, I someone just said that should be his own genre. I forget who tweeted that. Yeah, trap soul is. I think um, Quavo did. Quavo. Yeah. By the way, shout out to Bryson Tiller. He he, the first one. Yeah, yeah he for sure. He definitely opened up the door for it. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of these artists, man, you know they from the street, but they sing. Do you find it hard balancing? Because you're a family man. I'm a family man. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's hard to kind of balance. Being a boss and moving around and like kind of yeah. that work life balance is that like how do you how do you kind of do that man because it's tough it's tough man I mean shit it's like you know um, I have to really just make sure that I only go to the studio like I can't really hang out with my artists as much as I want to when they're going to clubs and things like that, I really just have to focus on the office and be with them in the studio. It's got to be something special. Yeah, like, it has to be something worth it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I can't just go to the club with you because y'all are taking some hoes out. You right. know what I'm saying? So, Like, I'm assuming you won't be going to All-Star Weekend. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right, like, right, right, right. Things right. like that. Like, it's no point for me to be Yeah, there. like, what am I going out there for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah that's uh, you got to pick and choose those those moments. Absolutely. I yeah. feel you. I'm on that same shit. Yeah, so, you know, things that make sense for me to be at, like, if I have an artist doing something special in the city that they, you know, they want it means me to be something at, to them, that means yeah. something to them, I, I'll be there. But, you know, a lot of artists respect that I do have a family. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to make sure that, you know, they're going to let me know things they want to be at. But, you know, I think artists' main focus is me being in the studio with them opposed to the club. Boom. Well, look, Dallas, appreciate your time. Yep. Appreciate um, you, man. Thanks for having me, man. This has been fun. Yeah. Thank Yo, you, man. I think your story's dope, and I think, you know, I always tell everybody, man, like, yo, Dallas, like, you, your come up has been crazy to witness, bro. So, yo, salute. Appreciate it, man. Bulekhead Podcast wrapping up. Boom. Thank you, man. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.